was an accident. A car accident. From David Lynch, the director of Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet. Could be someone's missing. The girl is missing. Down. from Deep River, Ontario, and now I'm in this dream place. I don't know who I am. That money, you don't know where it came from. Oh, by the way, those two detectives came by again looking for you. Someone is in trouble. Something bad is happening. Now you got me scared. There is no and yet, we hear a band. Silencio. I remember something. What is it, Rita? What is it? What do you see? Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. That's where I was going. Diane, the car's waiting. You coming? Hello, welcome to Movie Uppers. Hi, I'm Bob Sham. Hola, I'm Angela. This sounds your maybe dogs. And this is it. We're saying goodbye with this film. It is our last selection for this month's Women in Crisis. Yes. But don't be sad because uh, by the end of the week, we'll be starting our next month's theme for March that we're calling The Left Hand Endeavor. Oh, yeah. Classic film noir. Five days a week, just like Halloween Hump Fest, but for classic film noir we love classic film noir we love shit like that and we got a month packed with it a lot of bangers a lot of high quality stuff probably our most consistently critically hailed yes. bunch of movies ever even more than this month just for the fact that there's just so much more of it but before we go there we have this one last women in crisis movie and what we'll reflect on this month of Women losing their minds. A lot of women losing their minds. Women getting attacked by birds, gins, uh, shit like that. Uh, and also. The healthcare system. The healthcare system, the man, society man. I would like to give you a little extra props Co- for. Coming back from the dead and shit. What? Yeah, I was just going to say, I would like to give you a little extra props for having this be the last movie going into noir because this is neo-noir yeah yeah and i know that you're i know that you know that but if anyone listening does not know that my husband is very very smart oh thank you you know i'll never say that (laughs) it's not cool if i say it but yeah you know david lynn i think blue velvet's a much more obvious neo-noir just the vibe the feel of it yes and also you know um what are the movies that we know that we know david lynch is obsessed with uh, Wizard of Oz, we know that. We've established mm-hmm. that with our Wild at Heart discussion. Yes. And also Sunset Boulevard, yes. a movie that we have discussed early on that you can hear that episode for, but he is obsessed with that movie. And I think a lot in this movie is a bit of an ode to stuff like that. And Old Hollywood, we get the very obviously strong Rita Hayworth. Yeah. And it's David Lynch, so it's a lot of like surreal dream-inspired shit. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're talking about Mulholland Drive from 2001. 
Written and directed by Mr. David Lynch, starring Naomi Watts, Laura Elena Herring, Justin Thoreau, and Miller. Um, and of course, there's music by the late great Angelo Badalamenti. Mm, we love him. Yeah, he's great. Love him. We like a David Lynch. Uh, we like him a lot. And uh, this movie's no exception. Almost yeah. like a strange extended universe. It's not officially like in the Twin Peaks Ouvoir, but this was a movie that was originally intended to be a show, and it did not get uh, picked up. Mm-hmm. It seemed like David was always open to unpacking his ideas in long-form TV shows. As you can imagine, it's hard enough to get any movie or show made. And if you're David Lynch going up to, like, networks, you know, like he did with Twin Peaks, you know, it's... Twin Peaks, I think, is one of the greatest TV shows ever. Absolutely. But it died after two seasons, you know. And you know he had so many plans because his whole thing is world creating Mm -hmm. you know he's he set the plans for so much more in twin peaks that we never really got to see he did end up coming back 20 years later and doing a third season which answered as many questions as it rose or as rose out of it i mean i don't know if it answered i was gonna say more questions came up more questions came up but because this one was also going to be a television show you can kind of see some of the other threads that got started in this that could have continued on. Or at least like some of the little bits of ideas that we see from him, like at Wild mm-hmm. at Heart, mm-hmm. um, which I think was filmed around the same time as Twin Peaks was developing. Yes, yes. Sherilyn Finn, who plays Audrey, in Wild at Heart, there's a One scene... One of the best scenes in the where, movie. ...where they come up and it's a car accident mm-hmm. and she is... She's got hit in the head, and she she ends up dying in that scene. I will say, maybe not one of the best scenes in the movie, but she is amazing in that scene. And, yeah, so it's like, oh, in your mind, you know, we had just watched Twin Peaks, like, not long before that. And so it's like, oh, it's Audrey, right? And it's wild, mm-hmm. and it's how that comes together. And a, there was a... Sherilyn Finn has claimed that there was a bit of a outline of this idea that maybe Audrey be in a spinoff in which she goes to Hollywood... And so the Laura Lena Herring's character, in my mind, it was, I kind of just made her kind of the Audrey, right? In my mind, because I know Audrey was supposed to go to Hollywood if that went forward. And then from Wild at Heart, she gets in a wreck and doesn't remember anything. And that's exactly kind of, you know, David's coming back to his themes and fleshing them out. Absolutely. You also kind of, you know, in Twin Peaks, you have the tall man mm-hmm. who is sort of a guide. Yeah. And in this movie, we have the cowboy. Right. Who is that guide again and sort of manipulating a little bit the situation. Not a little bit, straight up manipulating the situation. Of course, there's this movie isn't, again, we're not going to have a bunch of answers, mm-hmm. a lot more theories. You if you know a little bit about David Lynch, you'll know it's, uh, he's not going to answer your questions for you. And, but it is fun to kind of go back, especially in movies like this mm-hmm. and read other people's interpretations and what yeah. you think is going on. And for the most part, I, th- I do think we've got it 
I mean, figured out to where it makes sense for us, but there's still always going to be scenes and details. It's like, I don't know why that was there. I don't know why they did that then. I don't know why that part exists. I actually don't think I've landed it, what I think happened. We did talk about a lot last night, but even where I ended last night, I don't know if I agree with it today. (laughs) But even then, it's like how... There's no other director that will do that to you and yet be so critically praised at the same time. He has actually said he thinks that this is one of the more straightforward movies that he's ever made. Yeah, yeah. Which is insane. (laughs) I think I feel like Blue Velvet's more straightforward than this. Blue Velvet's definitely more straightforward. I feel Wild at Heart is more straightforward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you like Wizard of Oz. That's more of him fucking with us. He's just constantly fucking with us. I think so. I think you're right. But also the movies are really beautifully shot. They're mm. like the details of it, the the way he builds these characters and the way they act. It do, he does really. It's it's not just this matter of like, oh, what was that? That didn't make any sense. He literally is establishing a very specific environment. Though it may not make sense, everything is very much on purpose. And you, it envelops you. It sucks you in. It's like you're in a strange dream. Absolutely. That's a little scary, but you're curious as to what is going on here. And that's what kind of sets them apart from maybe someone who just might be doing weird shit to do weird shit. You know, and that's the other thing about Angelo Badalamente and David Lynch hasn't done a movie since he passed. And I don't know what that will look like because... While things may be crazy and scary in this surreal world that Lynch is creating, for me at least, having that music that is new but also familiar is comforting. Yeah, it is essentially the sa- some of the same stuff when it tries to establish like something's wrong. Yeah, we've heard a lot of these tracks before yeah. if you've kept track with Lynch's career. It almost like supports how you're feeling. It's like, oh yeah, you should be scared right now. But it's, you know, but or, it is, oh, this is a nice moment. But because we love the other works that these songs appeared in, it does present this layer of comfort. And I think there is a little bit of comfort in this movie, despite Absolutely. how strange and scary it can be. And I think that's what Twin Peaks did. Like, there's this balance of, like, there's something folksy, something, like, easy about it. And yet there will be parts that are, like, the scariest thing that has ever aired yeah. on network television. But I've, but that has that feeling comes along with this one. But is that feeling independent? Could you get that feeling just watching Mulholland Drive alone without the knowledge of his specific history? Is David Lynch making franchise movies? You know what I'm saying? For people who are real nerdy about movies. Okay, I will say this. <laughs> I think that someone just watching this movie could really enjoy this movie. But it is more... For those of us who understand and know the other things that he has done. Because there are so many moments that feel so much like other things that it's it almost makes it more eerie. So it's even more, it's more comforting, but it's also more scary. You know, I've pondered in my, in certain critiques of like superhero franchises, like, like the Spider-Man movies, like that last one that had the Spider-Man from other dimensions. That was fun. It's a fun movie. It had strong emotional beats, but I had to question like, does this mean anything without knowing about the last 20 something years of Spider-Man movies? Is that a flaw with the movie? It and is. I, to be fair, you know, 
you could kind of ask that with David Lynch movies. What do they mean independent? Yeah. I feel like like a Blue Velvet does work very independently. Yeah. But this one, in my brain, I can't shake that that tethered connection to the Twin Peaks side of things, especially yeah. with the bottle of minty music. This one, more than anything else. Mm. Because I do, you know, I, I said, you know, I didn't have the connection with this one when I saw it was younger, when I was younger. And I don't know if it's because I was obsessed with The Wizard of Oz also, but when I first saw Wild at Heart when I was younger, I fucking loved it. Mm. And I hadn't seen any of his other stuff at that time. So I think it just depends on what you connect to. But I think you're right, especially with this one more than the others. But every movie that we watch of his or revisit, I've seen this one now twice in the last year. And every time I watch it, there's more stuff that I notice. If you know his stuff, you're going to get more out of it. It's like you're getting little presents from him. Mm. So he really is I think the so. franchi- a franchise player for... For a specific type of film I think, nerd. Yes, but I think he would say that it's all more because it's in the same kind of world. Mm. You know? It also does help to know... I think you do get them more if you're into older movies as well. Because you can kind of see the the backdrop to all of it. But uh, let's get into this movie. <laughs> Betty comes to Los Angeles. And uh, she's aspiring to be an actor. Mm. Um, and Laura Alina Harley, Herring... Is playing um, Rita is what she says her name is. Herring is in a lim- limousine, and she's and the it stops, and she's like, "We're not supposed to stop here." And then these kids just like drag racing in the street, end up plowing into the parked limo, and she crawls out of it after the crash, and she's taking a blow to the head, and she starts walking down the hills towards the city of miles Los Angeles. Miles and miles. And she ends up finding her way into this apartment building. It's owned by Betty's aunt, but her aunt is letting her stay there. But Laurelina Herring's character has wandered into this building. And Betty confronts her. And she thinks that she's supposed to be there. And she's like, what's your name? And she looks at a poster of Rita Hayworth from From the movie Gilda. Gilda, And she's like, "Uh, my name is Rita. And Betty's a very easy going naive naive but she's also really wants she's very curious about rita's life and what she's doing and she wants to be very involved she's more kind of into whatever rita's story is that she can't remember than her own like acting career this is a character that honestly now would just end up being small town goody goody girl who's obsessed with true crime podcasts she's naive but this is a mystery and it's yeah. so intriguing and it's so exciting and she's in hollywood and something exciting is happening to her a trope for a young pretty girl coming into town yeah and oh at the beginning of the movie we cannot get into every fucking weird detail no way but there is like jitterbug swing dancers at the yeah. beginning and um and this little old couple who Ended up on the plane with Betty. They made fast friends. And they are very creepy. Mm. And it seems almost as though they were delivering her to Hollywood. So while Betty and Rita are trying to figure out what the deal is with Rita, Justin Thoreau's character... The director. Is a director by the name of Adam. Like the mob. Like They're producers, Mm -hmm. but they almost feel like the mob... They want him to hire. They're like, we're going to give you all this control. You can cast all these people, but we want this very specific girl for this role. Like that kind of old 
old Hollywood, we're going to tell you who. And we see uh, information being parlayed back and forth to the little dude, the dwarf dude from Twin Peaks, but he's in the, sitting in this chair and he's like a regular sized man, but it's still him. You can see his like head. So David Lynch brought this guy back who's like the, the leader of this mob. And he is instead of in a red curtained room, he's in a brown curtained room, but there is a red lampshade. There is still a lot of red up in yeah. this movie, but this character, the director, Adam is very, very ballsy. There is no way that girl is in my mouth. That girl is not in my film. It's not long about your film. This is the girl. He doesn't like getting pushed around. He carries her on a golf club and he starts bashing in like the windows of the mob ride, which is kind of wild. And he goes home and he finds out that his wife is cheating on him with Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. Just forget you ever saw it. It's better that way. But he gets beat up and he pours like like pink paint onto his wife's jewels. I love that. That's and, such a good revenge. And he, most of his scenes, he's still walking around with like pink paint splattered suit. He hides out in this divey hotel his assistant gives him a phone call like finds him or he calls to check in or something and she says this man called the cowboy wants to meet with you and he's like what the fuck are you talking about and he's he is he's a smart ass he's mm-hmm. he thinks he's smarter than everyone in the room and he tells her okay yeah fine like i'll go meet with this cowboy go, go to this ranch and he does and mm-hmm. the guy He's like a strange dream guy character in a David Lynch movie. Meeting at a corral. And he's like, you can do whatever you want here, but you got to pick that girl. The rest of the cast can stay. That's up to you. But that lead girl is not up to you. Now you will see me one more time if you do good. You'll see me two more times if you do bad. Good night. Naomi Watts, she's fucking great in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like she her act her role here is fantastic, especially when we see what happens in the last leg of the movie. I don't I'm trying to imagine her in any other movie as good as this. She's really quite fantastic in this. Um yeah. But oh, but Rita, she's got like a key, by the way. Oh yeah, so they open up her purse because they think once Rita finally comes clean to her, like, I don't know who I am. Once Rita finally comes clean to her and says, I don't know who I am, they open up her purse hoping there's an ID in there. It's full of cash and the weirdest key you've ever seen. It's like a triangly blue key. And they don't know what it goes to. And you kind of forget about the key for a bit. And they're going around and there's this great guzzy but really wonderful audition scene Yeah, yeah. that Naomi Watts has that is... So good. Yeah, yeah. But also the guy who's the producer is like touching her too much. And everyone, did you notice like everyone's like grabbing her? Like they're manhandling her. And it's funny because she goes through that scene and she nails it. Well, there it was. (laughs) Yeah, there it was. All right. Maybe you got away with you. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Bob? 
Very good. Really? Right? Oh, hell yeah. And she walks out and the well the casting well, the one of the casting directors, which who's just there to advise, they haven't hired her. She's like the yeah. They walk out with this lady's assistant and they're like God, that was awful. Not you, Betty. You were stellar, and I mean that. But poor Wally. He'll never get that picture made. No. Wally's days were up 20 years ago. You know, Woody Katz is only doing it for a favor. And the cast I hear so far is terrible. Oh, God, terrible. That poor old fool Wally. Well, they were like, you're are like brilliant. Over the hill, but you need to do something else. Yeah, this movie's never going to get made. Yeah, I can set you up with some other things. But yeah, like, she does, they do do an amazing job. But then, like, I mean, there's a lot of Hollywood commentary here and a lot yes. of, yeah, I wouldn't say it's as overtly bitter as Firewalk with me comes off very bitter in yeah. uh, the aftermath of the Twin Peaks series. But this one, I think it's meant to be a lot funnier in this one. Sorry. That was a highly recommended. That is considered one of the finest espressos in the Wait world. Minute, what sir? is going on here? I agree. And, you know, they go across to where Adam, the director, is auditioning girls to be the star of this new movie. He looks a little strung out. You know, he's very tired. He's kind of going through the motions. This girl does a great job, and he has to tell her, like, hey, listen, honey, I have to audition everybody. Mm-hmm. And then here comes Camilla Rhodes. And that's who he's supposed to say yes to. That's the w- girl that they want to. And she does a fine job. You know, like she's she's cute. She sings the little song. But all he has to do is say, this is the girl. And and he does. And that makes the mob happy. But um, Betty, the Naomi Watts character, is kind of hanging on the set. And he keeps looking back they at have her. a connection. He keeps looking back and looking back. And... You don't know if he, if he, she's familiar to him or if like he in the back of his mind is like, that's actually the one I want. Like that's actually the person that I, the look that would be perfect for this. But what's interesting and, and even more interesting when we talk about theory later is, you know, she's there and she might have been perfect, but she never has a chance. But before she knows she doesn't have a chance, she chooses to leave and go help Rita. Aside from trying to get into this movie that this apparently very famous and brilliant casting director that people listen to is saying that she's perfect for. She chooses Rita. They're tracking down this apartment where she they find a, a number or um, Diane that she used to live with or... The, uh, they think that's how it played out. Yeah, so so Rita remembers the name Diane Selway or Selwick because the waitress's name is Diane. Yeah. And she's like, I remembered something. And so they look her up. There's only one D Selwick in the phone book. And so they go to her house. And it's this exchange with the neighbor. She doesn't live in this one apartment. She lives in another she's one. She's living 12. She, she lives switched in with a neighbor. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, okay. So they go over and they have to kind of break into the apartment. And they go and they see a, a woman, a brunette. We can't tell exactly what she looks like, but she's dead. Like, Did she, you even see her? I couldn't even tell her hair color. She was in the dark and her skin was turning. I'm not sure, but I thought it was maybe Laura Herring. 
like as the dead body, but it was, you just couldn't tell, but it was scary when they come across it. So then yeah. they have to leave there because they just got freaked out. They found a fucking dead body. They don't, yeah, which, you know, more questions than answers as to what's up with Rita here. They end up going back to Betty's place and they end up like hooking up in a, it goes a little bit beyond just being your typical chubber. Yeah. It's really hot. It's a, you get a little beyond the chub here. Yeah. And, uh, and there, and it seems like they are now together. And then yes. they go to this theater. Well, she has a, she wakes up Betty because she starts talking in her sleep. Rita starts saying silencio, silencio. And she's saying a few other sentences. And yeah, they wake up and it's 2 a.m. And she says, I need you to go somewhere with me. This next like chunk of this movie is one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever and it's scary and it's creepy and i know what i think it means but i don't know they get to this theater they sit down and the show begins and the whole thing is the man is speaking in multiple languages spanish and french yes and english and so, like, saying all the, you know, words, and basically he's saying, there is no band. It's all a tape. This is an illusion. And there's even a man that comes out with, like, a trumpet, and it looks as though he's playing it. And then he, like, stops, and the trumpet's still going. But it sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's just very odd. And there's this blue-haired woman sitting in the balcony watching the whole thing happening. Young woman, but bright blue hair. And then a woman comes out and sings crying the Roy Orbison song in Spanish. And it's gorgeous. You you can tell that she's broken. It's a pretty powerful scene in the sense that before we watch her sing, it's explained to us that it's a tape, it's a band, but you forget. It feels so real. And then she falls. And the song And the song so still goes. And it, and it like totally fucks you up. Totally disconcerts. And the girls are crying and I'm crying and the woman's passed out. And even before that, there's like lightning crashes and things that happen that feels like that very song, lightning crashes. surreal. Oh, yeah. Betty kind of starts shaking. They're having very visceral reactions in the room to everything that is happening here. And they're just like clutching each other. And by the end of the show, Betty picks up her purse and inside of it is a cube. Is a box. With a triangle opening, which they know matches the triangle key does david lynch like the movie hellraiser i wouldn't i mean i mean we can't say for sure but the idea of a box that potentially opens another dimension is very hellraiser or another reality or Mm -hmm. yeah um and there's that part where the man that the guy dreams of is holding that box later in the movie Mm -hmm. so that that gives me a hellraiser vibe i wonder if he's ever seen it because that's just like the end of Hellraiser. Yeah, well, the guy doesn't kind turn of. into a dragon. No, but in this one, but it very just similar. It does remind me of that. I don't think he's consciously ripping off Hellraiser. No, I think I think <laughs> I think David Lynch has a thing with finding keys and clues. Yes, and 
following steps to get somewhere and you're you can't get there until you find the thing also blue is a color that david lynch uses in twin peaks to mean that something is out of the ordinary because there's a blue rose blue rose and the blue rose is not something that exists in nature Mm -hmm. so blue and blue in this movie looks very out of place because everything is red and white like betty's very like soft and pretty and grays and blues and pinks and you know rita's very like red and black and sultry and dark and then there's this blue thing mm-hmm. and i don't even know if there's blue literally in any else in the movie except in that woman's hair yeah also that whole stage is the red curtains like twin peaks too like i don't know it just feels so otherworldly and the fact that they left her they woke up at 2 a.m Got dressed, went across town, and happened to be there when a show was starting, and there were other people in the theater. It's like, it made you feel as though the show is going to start when the right people are there. I've always kind of wanted some David Lynch things recreated that I ever saw. Imagine, like, the diner in Twin Peaks, like, you can go there. Yes. Um, The one that they base that on burnt, burnt up, apparently. But imagine, like, you go to, like, a late-night drag show, and it's just completely re and recreating this uh that theater scene in Mulholland Drive. It would be the most amazing thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. And so they go back to their her uh, apartment with the box and the, they know instinctively that the key is going to open this box and as, it does. As soon as Rita pulls the hat box down to get the key, Betty disappears. And then Rita turns the key and then there's some weird like shifting that happens and then the aunt comes in and sees a completely made bed and there's no evidence that anybody had been there and then you see the cowboy walk into diane's apartment and go to the dead girl and say hey "Hey, pretty pretty girl girl. time to wake up this is why i now i now do think that what we've all everything we've just talked about it's either another reality or it's a dream. And then we're going into the present. Yeah, I do think that the the that the last third of this movie is the real reality. People. Yeah. And so um Betty is actually Diane, still played yes. by Naomi Watts. Yes. Laura Herring's character is Camilla, who is the name of the person they wanted the that the mob wanted Adam to cast in the mm-hmm, movie. Mm-hmm. So, so Laura Herring is Camilla. Betty is now Diane, but we think she was always actually Diane. Mm-hmm. And they have that relationship, that same sex relationship. But she's also Camille. Camilla. Camilla has a relationship with Justin Thoreau's character, Adam. And it, it, you got the feeling that this is like a, a, th- a fr- that was maybe it was a thruple that fell apart or something like that. I don't think it was a thruple, but I do think that, I mean, Diane is very obviously obsessed with Camilla. And Camilla is becoming, you get this feeling she's becoming a very successful actor. I think it could have gone down the thruple road if Diane wasn't so obsessed with Camilla. I don't think Diane can share. Because there is a moment later where the woman who was Camilla in the, like, other reality kisses 
Camilla, Rita, mm. like basically makes out with her right in front of Adam and he does not care. No. And it's basically like, we'll see you later. So I think you're right. I think potentially she could have been part of that, but she she wanted Rita all for herself because there's even a part where, well, I'm going to keep calling her Rita, Camilla and Adam are in a scene and he's basically doing that thing where he's like, hey, actor, step aside. I'm going to sit in the car and show you how to play this makeout scene, right? It, and she says, can Diane stay? Yeah. So it's like she knows what's going to happen, but she wants Diane also there and to feel included. But they also seem to just be completely emotionally fucking with Diane at the same time. Yes. Like they're yes. like they're just enjoying it. They're gonna they're on their way to become these big stars and this this girl Diane who never quite made it, who's obsessed with this rising starlet. There's is, a she's just broken, shattered. She almost looks like like she's strung out, but I think she's just she's just depressed. We never see her doing any drugs. She's just messed up. There is a part where you think they're gonna have sex in Diane's apartment. They're both topless. And Camilla's laying on the couch, and it's weird because Diane kind of leaps over the couch on top of her and is straddling her, and she says, what did you say, beautiful? And she says, you drive me wild, and then immediately says, we can't do this anymore. Yeah. Or we shouldn't do this anymore. And I think it's, I don't think it's not that Camilla's like down to fuck. I think she is, but she's just down to fuck. I don't think she's down to have... A dramatic lesbian relationship with Diane. Uh, And not that all lesbians are dramatic, but that's what this one would be. In the uh, first third of the movie, we meet this hitman in a very funny scene, actually, Mm. um, where he's got to steal this black book. Which never comes back around. And he kills a guy. You just have to watch the scene. It's very, like, comical. It's it's probably the funniest part in the whole movie to me. Oh, yeah. But uh, the the Diane character, keep in mind, it's it's very confusing. Betty is now Diane. Naomi Watts is now Diane. And Diane is hiring this guy to kill uh, Camilla. And what does he give her? He tells her. A blue key. When it's done, you will find the blue key in the place where we discuss. Mm -hmm. And then later... You see the blue key on her coffee table. So, yeah, she's laying in bed and the movie ends with her shooting herself in the head. And you'll notice that when that happens, all this smoke fills the room like all the kind of like what happened when the Wicked Witch of the West uh, got hit with a bunch of water or something. But like, yeah, smoke envelops this room. And then she also right before that had hallucinated those two old people as being very, very teeny weeny tiny mm. um, and coming in under her door and then growing up really big and like chasing her yeah, yeah, into her bedroom where she then shot herself. So right. again, they're sort of like pushing her into a space. And Were yeah, those her parents? I don't know. Who knows? I know. Mr. Lynch ain't going to explain it to us. And it, it is fun to go down the rabbit hole with this movie. and uh, But it's an incredibly well-made movie. And I can't speak highly enough of Naomi Watts' performance oh God, here. I know. 
I, and even in just when she gets into the Diane realm, that's when it's like, man, she really put her all into this movie. Absolutely. Uh, Laura Herring, it, she does a good job as well, but she kind of has to be this blank slate, right? Um, whereas, uh, it just seems like the emotional range is a lot, is a lot of Naomi Watts doing a lot of that heavy lifting. Well, and, and, you know, I think that just supports the theory that the first, two-thirds of the movie are in Naomi Watts' character's mind. They're in Diane's mind because, you know, one of the theories that I was reading is that that's all what Diane wishes their relationship was. She came to, because her aunt had died and had left her some money and she wanted to be an actress and it didn't work out for her. So She won a jitterbug contest. She won a jitterbug contest. We saw a swing dance and... The first thing in the movie. Yep. And uh, those people were next to her when she won. So they could be her parents. They could be her grandparents, the old people. And, you know, then she gets in this relationship that doesn't go well with this woman who's beautiful. But anyway, in her fantasy, she comes from a small town, but she has an aunt that's there who has money and has an apartment and sets her up with an audition and it's easy going and she does great and people want her in their movies. And this gorgeous woman is in her shower naked mm-hmm. and then they're fucking and she needs her. She's not her own person without yeah. Betty yeah, or Diane. And so it's like she has this perfect doll. That she can now do everything for and help. And Betty really does kind of boss Rita around. Yeah. You know, Rita says oftentimes, like, she doesn't want to do something. She doesn't want to go somewhere. And Betty, like, pushes and pushes. So in the Diane Camilla reality, Diane has no control. Mm -hmm. But in the Betty Rita reality, Betty has all the control. And, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is... A stellar performance from her. Diane's weird dream fantasy. But the reality is she's just a fucking emotionally tortured, failed actress. We should uh, call out that we have seen this Rita Camilla character. We've seen this actress before. She was in John Q. She was the girlfriend of John Q's best friend. At the baseball games, she has a ponytail all the time. She is dating the guy who at the end does the interview and is basically saying, I'm with John forever. Oh, my God. Yeah. The best friend's... um... Best friend's girl. Oh. Yep. But that's the only other time I've ever seen her, to my knowledge. The uh, Yeah. They made John Q after Mulholland Drive, so... Yeah. There you go. Mulholland Drive, definitely one of uh, Lynch's best. Like, Good Lord, easy. yeah. But we're going to, this is it for Women in Crisis. Uh, we had a, a good a good old time. Although I'm happy to move forward. Yeah. I'm happy to move forward. Watched a lot of tortured ass women this month. But uh, you're going to give one through five. I'm going to give one through five combined for best out of ten. I'll give it a 4.5. Four, or 4.75. Yeah, I'm giving it a five. So some heavy hitters. There's going to be more heavy hitters next month. The heavy hitters ain't going to stop. But Mulholland Drive is an S-tier movie. Yes. And I'm just going to make a prediction that if we ever get around to watching Blue Velvet for this show, that's also going to be an (laughs) S-tier. Yeah, no doubt. So check out the list. 
Mulholland Drive is in between Malcolm X and Out of the Past on our S tier list. So that does it for Women in Crisis this month. Mm-hmm. What fun. What tragic fun. Over and over again. But we watched some unique and interesting movies, no doubt. We broke the seal on a few directors for the first time. But uh, that's it. By the end of this week, we'll be deep in our uh, other theme that I'm excited about, the Left Hand Endeavor classic film noir. So pop in over there, and uh, we'll see you very soon. All right? For the last time, watch your back, girl. <laughs>